Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. God's like, don't worry about it. I will defend my people. I will defend my own. And I also will punish my own kids if I have to. But I will enact justice within this world. And I like what the world defines as social justice and all that good stuff. No, this is like holy justice. God's like, I'm not going to just turn a blind eye to these things. So we can rest easy within that. A loving parent disciplines their child if they do something wrong. God, being our loving father, does the same thing. In today's message, Pastor James talks about the people of Israel and what God did when they disobeyed. If you're a believer in Christ, you can rest in knowing that God is going to return. He's a just God, and He's going to bring justice to this broken world. Knowing that allows us to live in freedom, understanding that no matter how bad this world gets, God promises that He's going to restore it all for His good. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Amos chapter 1, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Book of Amos, Amos, if you're a southerner, right? Amos is a prophet from Israel, and he was used by God to write this letter to primarily to the people of Israel. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna cover probably about half of this letter because it's really short in, in chapter wise, lengthwise, but it just flows. It just flows really well. So we're gonna cover a lot of ground in here. There's not a lot of background information for Amos. We know that the word Amos in the Hebrew language means burden, which thanks mom and dad, right? Like he came out and they're like, what are we going to call this one? Well, he's a burden. Uh, so let's call him Amos. Uh, that's what his name means, which is very fitting for the prophecy that God has for him to declare to the children of Israel. But he kind of ran alongside with Hosea. And so him and Hosea were, were just kind of on the same scene. Hosea was in a different region, but they, they would run together. Hosea was a little bit younger than Amos was. Amos would have uh, come right on the heels of Elijah, Elisha, and then Jonah. Okay, In fact, Jonah was probably still alive when Amos was not only born, but was growing up. So there's a chance he probably heard of the story of Jonah and maybe have even met Jonah. But so as those guys were exiting the stage, so to speak, uh, Amos and it was Amos and then uh, Hosea were were the main prophets, kind of technically at that sense. And then when Amos was leaving the stage, so to speak, then you had uh, let's see, it was Isaiah and then Micah. Okay, then those prophets were the Lord was raising up, and of course we know Isaiah's major prophet just because his the letter he wrote is sixty six chapters long, but. So that's, that's kind of how this, the, the timeline works with this, guys. Okay, so you got Elisha, Elisha was going out. Jonah was exiting and all that good stuff. And then you have Amos and um, Hosea, and then, and then Isaiah shows up. So I don't know, in your brain, when you go through the Bible, if you think that some of these books are set up chronologically, they're not. Okay, they're not set up that way. Because um, if you're thinking like, well, then it was first Isaiah and then Jeremiah and then, is, then Ezekiel, then Daniel. No, that's not how it's set up. They're, they're set up by uh, a, really a Hebrew structure of like, these are prophecy books and you have Hebrew poetry books and all that good stuff. So 
the timeline, all that stuff, it's, um, it, it's kind of fascinating, but it's not major in one sense. There, there's going to be some indications from Amos's letter uh, that gives us a good idea of when he was around, date-wise. Um, probably around the mid-700s BC is kind of where he was at. And he already gives it away, so to speak. He lets us know who the kings were when he was prophesying. So that kind of helps us out. Um, but that's, that's who Amos is. We don't know much more about him other than what I think is one of the coolest things about him is he's a blue-collar prophet, okay? Blue-collar prophet. Like, he is uneducated, right? He's a sheep herder, and he also picks figs off of a sycamore tree, right? And which is the, the hardest job and the worst job and usually was uh, relegated to the poorest of the people because it was such hard work. And then God used Amos as a prophet. And I love that. He's, this dude's awesome. Um, a man who did not go to, really, he, he, his dad wasn't a prophet. He didn't go to prophecy school. Uh, he was not trained up at all. And then God said, hey, Amos, I, I need you to communicate to the people of Israel a message. And he's like, okay, here I am. So this shepherd, this farmer, slash rancher, slash you know, fig picker, all this stuff, like God's like, you're the one, you're the perfect one for this job, which is an amazing thing because the Bible constantly reminds us that you cannot disqualify yourself in the sense of sin can, yes, but you and I cannot, we can't go to him and say, well, I can't because I don't have a, I don't have a, I didn't go to seminary. Who cares? Big deal. High five for those who did right? And then for the rest of us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My family's not, my family's not, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Okay, that's fine. But you're here. But you're here. So that doesn't disqualify you. God is always looking for uh, really kind of unusual vessels, so to speak, to use because then he gets all the glory. And he uses a, a shepherd like Amos to speak to a a nation that was experiencing prosperity, revival, quote-unquote revival. Church services were never better, were never packed out more. Sacrifices were never better. Things were going really good on the outside. But God looks at the heart of man. And so God raised up Amos to be like, hey, I know things look good, but I need you to go tell them the truth. I need you to do the hard job. The hardest prophet to be there's a guy like Amos who has to speak to people who are very comfortable and very rich and are going to church and are making sacrifice. They're playing the game. That's a hard job to be that guy. It's easy when they're just flat out rebellious because they know. But when they're doing this stuff, it's like living in the Bible Belt and trying to witness to people about Jesus. Anybody in, you know, well, no, my grandpa, your grandpa built a church. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Amos, can I, we can identify with him. He can identify with us. This is why Amos is one of our friends. And I think you'll fall in love with this character as we go through this book. I just, he's very relatable. All right, let's look at this. Verse 1, chapter 1. Amos, it says, This message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa. And as soon as I read that, I was like, that sounds like a city in Washington state. And sure enough, it is a city in Washington state. I didn't realize that, but I was like, that sounds like something either some hipster would name their kid or some Northwest uh, state has as their city. And here is, this is a Southern city in Israel. 
It's in Judah, because you remember the, the nation of Israel split. You had the, the northern tribes and the southern tribes, okay? So Amos is from the south, okay? He's from the south, and it's about 10 miles south of Jerusalem and about five miles south of Bethlehem is where you'd find Tekoa, all right? All right, so that's who he is. That's where he's from. It says he received this message in visions two years before the earthquake, okay? So there was an earthquake that had happened, and it was a massive earthquake. In fact, it'd be remembered for 200 years. It'd be referenced. In fact, there's reference in Zechariah. He references this same earthquake, and there was a, uh, an archaeologist who did a dig back in the 70s within this region, and he found that there was evidence of an earthquake that would have happened during this time period, and it probably would have registered at an 8.0. So a massive earthquake, major earthquake. And so here's Amos. He's like, hey, y'all remember that earthquake? I think God was trying to tell us something, right? So that's kind of his, his thing. Joel had the, the locusts, right? Joel said God brought this swarm of locusts, and Joel was able to, he saw that God was using that to get a hold of the people's attention, Amos, he references this earthquake, okay? So it's, he says there's an earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II, the son of uh, Jehoash, was king of Israel. So there's our time frame there. You have uh, Uzziah as the king of Judah, and this probably was around the same time that he had gotten leprosy, okay? King Uzziah, right? So you have King Uzziah, he's in Judah, the southern part, and then Jeroboam II, who was not a good king at all, was reigning in the northern tribes, okay? Jeroboam II was the guy who set up the altar up in the northern part so that they didn't have to travel down to Jerusalem to worship. He made it convenient for them and also caused them to commit idolatry. That's a bad king. It's a bad leader. So that's who's ruling at this point in time. In verse 2, it says, this is what he saw and heard. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem, Mount Zion there in Jerusalem. He's, and that's how he, he begins this letter with, the Lord is roaring out from Zion. That's never a good thing. Uh, lion's roar is, is meant to invoke fear. Fear. If you've never heard a lion roar, it gets your attention. Okay, those are big cats. Those are massive cats. The ones at the Houston Zoo, beautiful to look at but pretty lazy, right? They don't do much. You're like, come on, don't tap the glass, but you're like, do something, right? There's one time my kids and I were at the Oklahoma City Zoo, I believe it was, just roaming around, cruising around, beautiful zoo. What we didn't know is that we were getting close to the tiger exhibit. And in the tiger exhibit, one of the tigers let out a roar, similar to that of a lion. It gets your attention. Even if you know that they are isolated, they are caged in there, when they let you know that they're present, there's just this instinctual thing within us. It's like, whoa, I better pay attention, right? Like that is a massive animal that could really tear me apart in seconds. Here, Amos is like, God is roaring like a lion. And that's not meant to be like, oh, that's kind of cute, right? Like Lion King and all that good stuff, right? It's not that. It's like, when he's roaring, that means that danger's on the horizon, He's roaring from Jerusalem. The lush pastures of, uh, pastures of shepherds will dry up. The grass on Mount Carmel will, will wither and die. And this is coming from a guy who gets his, his livelihood, his, his paycheck from shepherding. And he's like, all everybody's sins is going to affect you, but it's also affecting me as a shepherd. So he's just giving him a heads up. He's like, 
there is calamity that is coming. It's on the horizon. And here's his, he's going to go through eight judgments, okay? Um, Six of those are meant for their neighbors outside of their borders, kind of, so to speak. Some are within the borders, but so you got six of them that are meant for that, that all the people of Israel would be like, yes, amen, get them, God, get them, right? Like, go get them. It'd be like us as Americans being like, God, go get China, get them, God, get them, get Russia. And then God's like, yeah, but you're last on the list. Oh, no, no, not us. We're good. We're good. We're Americans. You can't judge us. We're good. We're, we're a Christian nation. God's like, yeah, you're on the list. I'll save, the, I'll save you for last, right? That's what he's going to do. So the people of Israel who hear this message, for the most of this message, they're going to be like, yes, amen. So here's the first ones. It's Damascus. It says, uh, this is what the Lord says, verse three, the people of Damascus have sinned again and again. Yours may say have sinned three times. Oh, wait, no, four times. It, that's just a way of saying you have sinned continuously, okay? They've sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They beat down my people in Gilead as grain is threshed with iron sledges. So I will send down fire on King Haziel's palace and the fortress of King Ben-Hadad will be destroyed. I will break down the gates of Damascus and slaughter the people of the Valley of Avon. I will destroy the ruler of Beth-Eden and the people of Aram will go as captives to Kir, says the Lord. So Damascus is the capital of Aram, which is modern-day Syria, and it's right on the northern border of Israel. Okay, so God is like, hey, I saw what you did to my people in Gilead, so you're going to pay for that. You're going to pay for that. No need to seek out revenge. God has your back. Let the Lord be your defense. Let him be your defense. He sees everything. He keeps account of everything. Don't even worry about it, right? But they beat us down like wheat, right? God's like, I'm going to get them. They'll pay for that. They'll have to to account for that. That's good. That's comforting to know. Verse 6, this is what the Lord says. Here's our next nation. The people of Gaza have sinned again and again. Now, of course, Gaza would be within the country boundaries there, but they have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sent whole villages into exile, selling them as slaves to Edom. So I will send down fire on the walls of Gaza, and all its fortresses will be destroyed. I will slaughter the people of Ashdod, destroy the king of Ashkelon. I will turn to attack Ekron, and the few Philistines still left will be killed, says the sovereign Lord, right? So these are obviously where the Philistines would have ruled and reigned, okay? This whole region in Gaza, which is, you know, you have Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Ekron. That's where uh, Goliath came from this region. All the giants came from this region, okay? But God is letting them know, like, no, you were selling people as slaves. And God's like, I don't like that. In fact, I hate that. So you will be punished for that. So dealing people, dealing in the market of selling human beings, God despises that, and they will be punished for that. So it's, we, this world has a history of slavery, a sad history, of, and it goes all the way back to the beginning, all the way, all the way back to the beginning. There's thoughts that uh, Nimrod, right? You guys know, remember him from Babylon, right? Nimrod, one of the first like kind of rulers or emperor kind of guys. Uh, there's, a, there's a thought that that's what he dealt in, is human slavery, so it goes all the way back to the beginning. 
And what we have from the word of God is, God's like, no, I don't like that. I don't like it. So I'm going to punish you. So he's like, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to destroy your strongholds. The next one, verse nine, is this is what the Lord says. The people of Tyre have sinned again and again. I will not let them go unpunished. They broke their treaty of brotherhood with Israel, selling whole villages as slaves to Edom. So I will send down fire on the walls of Tyre and all its fortresses will be destroyed. So again, dealing in slavery, taking captive people and then selling them off to Edom. God's like, it's, it's not going to fly. This Tyre, it's a Phoenician city. And if anything, this should bring just comfort to not only to our hearts, but as a, as a global, like the church, capital C church, and we got brothers and sisters who are being heavily persecuted. This is a comfort for us to know like, God's like, don't worry about it. I will defend my people. I will defend my own. And I also will punish my own kids if I have to. But I will enact justice within this world. And I like what the world defines as social justice and all that good stuff. No, this is like holy justice. God's like, I'm not going to just turn a blind eye to these things. So we can rest easy within that. Verse 11, this is what the Lord says. Here's the next one. To the ones who are getting all the slaves, right? To Edom, Edomites. The people, this is what the Lord says. The people of Edom have sinned again and again. And I will not let them go unpunished. They chased down their relatives, the Israelites, with swords, showing no mercy, showing them no mercy. In their rage, they slashed them continually. They were unrelenting in their anger. So I will send down fire on Timan, 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 however, <laughs> however you say that. And the fortress of uh, Basra will be destroyed. So Edom, obviously descendants of Esau, the Edomites, they dwelt there within the, within the land, and they were a constant headache to Israel. And you have Jacob and Esau. And the struggle that started in the womb continued on throughout their lives and through their descendants. God's like, I'm not going to put up with it. I'm not going to put up with it. Verse 13, this is what the Lord says. Here's some more descendants from famous Israelites. Uh, this is what the Lord says. The people of Ammon. Ammon have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. When they attacked Gilead to extend their borders, they ripped open pregnant women with their swords. So I will send down fire on the walls of Rabbah, and all its fortresses will be destroyed. The battle will come upon them with shouts, like a whirlwind in a mighty storm. And their king and his, prince, his princes will go into exile together, says the Lord. So here's... The Ammonites, the Ammonites are descendants of Lot in a very disturbing story of Lot and his two daughters, right? They fled the Sodom and Gomorrah area. And as they were fleeing Lot's wife, she looked back. And when she looked back, pillar of salt. And that looking back was a longing, a desire within her heart of like wanting to be back in that environment. She got turned into a pillar of salt. So you have Lot and his two daughters, not really, not really obeying God and really trusting in him. Um, and they just assumed, well, this is it. We're the last ones on earth. And his two daughters had the idea, let's get dad drunk and let's have him get us pregnant. And that's always bad, um, always bad. And it always results in bad, bad results. Um, 
The Ammonites are a, an effect of that. So you have the Ammonites, they're descendants of Lot and his youngest daughter, and they've been a thorn. They were, at this point in time, a thorn in the Israelites' side, so to speak. Look at how vicious they were. I mean, it's very descriptive on the things that they were doing to the, to the people of Gilead. I mean, just slaughtering pregnant women and their babies. Just with no conscience. Chapter 2, verse 1, it goes on. The prophet of Mo, or the people of Moab have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They desecrated the bones of Edom's king, burning them to ashes. So I will send down fire on the land of Moab, and all the fortresses of Kiriath will be destroyed, and the people will fall in the noise of battle as the warriors shout and the ram's horn sounds. And I will destroy their king and slaughter all their princes, says the Lord. So here you have the Moabites, which we know Ruth was a Moabite, right? She came from there. But their origin was with Lot and his oldest daughter. Okay, so you're like, not a good family tree there, right? Not many branches in that family tree, if you know what I'm saying, okay? At least in their origins, right? So you have Lot with his older daughter, same story as with the Ammonites. But from that, from that, you have Ruth, who is beautiful beautiful story. And she's a part of the lineage of Christ. And with Ruth and Boaz, you end up with a King David. And then eventually, like I said, down the road, you get King Jesus. So there's good that can come out of bad and dire situations and scenarios. But the Moabites, they were, uh, they were dishonoring. And, and I don't and, and not many people understand the, the reason behind the story of why they would desecrate their king in his bones like they did. But this was obviously enough to really to anger the Lord against them and what they were doing. And so he's like, You'll, there, there's a price to pay for that. And so that's where you get through, like, that's, there's, there's six of these things, and they're, they're those pronouncements, and that's where Israel would be like, yes, and amen, and we love you, Lord, and man, we're so glad that we're on your team. Actually, no, wait, Lord, we're glad you're on our team, because uh, that's really how they were thinking. Um, not really following him, but he should be following them uh, and serving them, kind of a, a mindset and attitude. And so they're like, yes, go get all those wicked people. Go get all those wicked people. Destroy them. And then we'll be the only ones left. But the message continues on. The message continues on. Here's Amos now speaking to, and, and yeah, he was from the southern tribe, but he, he is, his message, he had to go into like the northern tribe to deliver this thing, right? So, but he, he's going to send pronouncement to his, his part, but then also most of it goes towards like the northern tribes, okay? So here's for the southern part where he would be from. It says, this is what the Lord says. The people of Judah have sinned again and again. Oh, wait, you think you're good. Oh, you're not good. Oh, you think you're different from everybody else. Oh, you're not that different. You're not that different. You should be different, but you're not acting different. It says, I would not let them go unpunished. But wait, we're your kids. Exactly. Exactly. A good heavenly father knows how to step in and stop some rebellious kids before it gets way out of hand. And it's gotten way out of hand at this point in time. But here's God, and he's been warning them. He's been warning them. It's that it's you cruising down the road with your, with your parents or whoever, and they keep warning you, I'm going to pull this car over.
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken in a series that you just don't want to miss. Pastor James Grizzle has been walking through the messages that God gave to the prophets in the times that Judah and Israel were not only holding God at arm's length, but also suffering under oppression. It doesn't sound too different than when I let my own selfishness drive my decisions. Am I alone in that? What's amazing to me is that God's love for His children isn't conditional. I love that it's not dependent on what I do or what I don't do, but He does desire an authentic relationship with you and me, a friendship that isn't second best. I urge you to not replace him with the things of this world that eventually fade away. Will you join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday night at 7 p.m. to hear more of God's Word? For those of you that can't make it in person, don't worry. We live stream all of our services just for you. So find us on Facebook today. We like to keep faith simple and uncomplicated. So if you're looking for that and a laid-back atmosphere, then you'll be right at home with us. To find out more, head on over to breadforthebroken.com. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, look around a little. You'll find our location, a bunch of archived messages, and a place to give to the ministry. We'd love to have you partner with us as we praise the mighty name of the Lord Jesus together. And with that, we're coming to the end of our time together today. We're so glad you decided to spend your day with us here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.